Welcome to the Positive Turbulence Podcast, Stories from the Periphery. Here we journey to the edge to talk to turbulators about their experiences creating positive change. Hi, I'm Rob Brodnick, your co-host. The work of creating art may seem radically different to your notions of leadership and coaching, but our guest today, Patty Streeper, has found that delicate balance. The feminist artist who paints portraits of women of historical significance is also an executive coach. Through her ability to listen deeply to what both the women she paints and the leaders she coaches have to say, she is able to find deep meaning and generate positive turbulence for her viewers and clients. Hi, I'm Karen Zadinga, your co-host. Three years ago, Patty left a 30-year-long career in the world of corporate innovation. Her only intent was to find meaning and connection. Her quest has led her to rediscover her passion for painting, as well as a talent for executive coaching. While she was inside the boardroom, she was not making art, but she developed the skills of deep listening and observing that are now core to her creative process. And now those artist's capabilities, the ability to be present and in a flow state, have given her coaching practice an edge. In everything she does, Patty brings her desire for connection and dialogue. Her mission is to enable the other's voice so that we can all embrace our humanity. Stay tuned. We jump into our conversation with Patty, looking at her journey towards meaning and beauty and the idea of allowing herself that change. But first, a few words from our sponsors. The Positive Turbulence podcast is brought to you by AMI, an innovation learning community that is celebrating 40 years of supporting innovation and creativity for organizations and individuals. Learn more at aminnovation.org. Also, we'd like to thank Mac Avenue Music Group as a contributing sponsor. To hear our theme song, Late Night Sunrise, and other great music, visit macavenue.com. There's so much meaning there and so much beauty there. And I think that maybe that's a, a nice place to begin with you, Patty, in your search for meaning and beauty. When the work that you're doing as an artist, in the work that you're doing as a consultant, I feel like there's a shift going on for you towards meaning and towards beauty. Very much so. You know, when you've invested a good portion of your life in a career and then you make that change, however that change comes about, it takes you through... I mean, I very much have been trying to allow myself to go through that. And in some respects, you know, the the A part of my personality says it's been too long. Mm-hmm. It's been three years since I moved on. But on the other hand, I'm very much trying to allow. So one of the things with my painting is that when I move into that space, I'm very conscious about what what is it I'm I'm drawn to do today. I don't judge. I mean, there have been times when I've been working on a painting and I'm just thinking, oh God, that is just like the worst thing in the world. And then I'll go into the studio, I'll approach it very honestly, allow it to flow. And I I stand there and I look at the painting for a while and then I don't make a mark until I know where I want to make that first mark. And I don't know where I want to make the next one or stroke or however you want to say it. I don't know where the next one's coming from, but one leads me to the next. And before you know it, I'm deep in flow. And I've, I mean, what comes out at the end of the day is something I'm surprised by. So mm-hmm. I've learned to trust that my background, I was trained as an artist and then I moved away from it for essentially almost, well, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I use things I learned from that, whether consciously or not. But now I'm reclaiming it. And I think part of that is just that opening to what could be. And it's not a thinking process. It's a, just a, a tuning in and an awareness and 
waiting for something to come through that says to me, this is where I need to address, you know, this is the next thing I need to work on in that painting. And before I know it, like yesterday, I had parts of this painting, a woman, her name is Augusta Savage, and she is an African-American sculptor from the, you know, the early 20th century. And her work, most of it has been destroyed, but not out of maliciousness that I know of, that she couldn't afford to cast in bronze, but her pieces are magnificent. And Mm -hmm. so I'm doing a painting of her next to one of her large sculptures. And there was a part of this painting I'm thinking, oh God, you know, I mean, I've got three figures going on. I've got one that's real, Augusta, and then two that are these, these clay figures, and I'm wanting to make sure that they look right and, and that, you know, that it still has the interpretation and the way I want it to come across. And I wasn't sure. I mean, just, you know, if I try to figure it out from a thinking process, I can't figure out how, how to address it. But if I, once I determine that first stroke, then from there it starts to fall out. And when I step back at the end of it, it was like, good Lord, I can't believe how much I got done and yeah. how much of this figure has come to life as a result. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's also a metaphor for what I'm trying to allow as I move through this process of where do I want to contribute and how do I want to give back? How do I want to serve? And what is it I care about? I don't, I don't want to necessarily serve in a generic way. I want to do it something specific to who I am. And that's part of that discovery process. For people who aren't familiar with your painting and your work and the mission behind that work, would you mind just giving us a sense of what that is and maybe describe a little bit of the work as it evolves so that listeners can at least try to imagine it? So I paint portraits of women, from primarily from history. I've done two contemporary women who, oddly enough, they both turned out to have the first name of Ruth. The focus is around the fact that I feel as though we've lost half of our human history. Because as women, we look back in history books, and if there's anything around the contributions of women, it's, it's sparse, and it's not given the full contextual merit that it deserves. I just go through a process of finding women that have done significant things. And I, and I not only do white women, but women of color, and probably have done, I'm sure I've done more women of color, because I think their challenges are, are far greater than, than white women are. But we all share certain things. And so I'm trying to tell their stories. Over time, it started out to be more illustrative, more it looked like something you might find in a magazine. And now it's moved to a more painterly vision or look. And it tells a story, but it's more of a celebration of them. I'm almost like having a conversation with them. And I've learned from them as to what they've gone through, how they overcame it, what was their ability to focus in on what they were seeking to accomplish, and their undaunted pursuit of whatever it might be, whether it's they wanted to be a a pilot more than anything, or they wanted to be in science, or they wanted to have social change. Interestingly enough, and I think this is coming out of my own interest, I paint a lot of women who are social activists throughout time including the suffragists and what they went through. And as a young girl, I didn't understand that story because it wasn't fully documented in a way that was compelling as to what was actually happening. But these women were brutally beat and imprisoned or spat upon and every kind of social pressure you can imagine were put on these women just to get the right to vote. But I celebrate as many as I can possibly paint in the world is quite large of women that are <laughs> contributed. So I just keep diligently working and finding as many different fields and as many different background perspectives as I can so that I'm in some way honoring them and in some way helping to share their story. But what I hope to gain from that 
is to open people to the fact that someone that looks very different from them have endured things that may be similar to what they've faced, but also they've been able to contribute significantly. And that's something that we should honor and then write the scales of history, if you will, so that they have a rightful place and we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answered your question about the, you know, helping people understand what these images are, but they are portraits. They are in oil. They're fairly large, typically 36 by 36. I do have some variation of sizes. I've developed over time sort of a pixelization kind of a process that shows, tells something about where they're focused. And I'll give you an example. I painted Ruth Bader Ginsburg and I actually painted her in a 40 by 60 inches. I think it's bigger than life size. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And, and, and I use the pixelization from, from her head, her heart, and her hands because her work has been obviously very intellectual. She's an incredibly bright woman, highly educated, and has so much to blend. But she speaks it from her heart and she uses her hands as she works through her, her work on the Supreme Court. And that's in a way that I've used the pixelization to show their experience, if you will, and also their gifts and how they share them. On that journey to meaning and that sense of purpose, I suspect you've also found a change in yourself over these three years as you've been painting, as you've been doing this work. I suspect something has also shifted with you. Yeah, and that's one of those things that actually I feel like maybe I should be able to articulate, and and I'm not sure if I can or not fully because it's it's an ongoing process. But when I moved from my creative background to the world of corporation, I pushed that aside. And so one of my realizations was just a re-embracing of who I was before and why I was before, and that that was completely valid and worthy and worthwhile. To clarify, I don't think I had decided it was not worthwhile, but I had protected it. I closed it off and I set it aside and I didn't want too many people know that because it didn't feel like it was it was safe for me to share it. That was my judgment, whether it was or wasn't, I don't know. But at any rate, I've been able to come back to that. So that's one thing. I think I think the other is to be humbled by what I realized through the processing, what I was able to do well and what I was able to do wrong. And how can I learn from that and come out of that with a commitment towards what feels right at this time? At least for me, as a creative person walking into something that was so foreign as in the world of business and learning that, I, I had to open brain space to learn those things. And therefore, I set those other things aside. And now I'm re-inviting the other back in. And it gives, to use your term from earlier, it gives a texture you know, to my experience, that's different than when I was living it and in it. So I have perspective now, but I'm also able to then use that forward. So as a coach, I'm working with executives and professionals that are seeking new understanding. And man, my experiences are just really helpful for me to ask powerful questions of them to help them see where they are while they're in that moment rather than later in retrospect. I have a question that goes back to something you had said earlier, but I think it applies to the phrase that you just used. But it, it's when something goes from the unconscious to the conscious. And as you're staring at either the blank canvas or something you've worked on that images are starting to form and you're exploring the relationships and, and the meaning, you choose to act at a certain point in time. And, and otherwise, you're observing internal, external dialogue. You know, something happens though when you choose to, to bring something from the unconscious and manifest it. 
talk about that moment for us a little bit. Do you recognize something rationally in, in your processing or is it a feeling that comes forward or you're just watching your hand move forward to the canvas? What's that like? For me, I would call it a clarity of what's that first step. It's not that I figured out everything that I'm going to do that day or that I've planned it out or anything. God forbid that that does not work. If I try to force it, it takes me down the wrong path. And that's when I end up with something that I think is ugly. I'll study the painting and I'll look at what for me needs to change of what mm-hmm. I've gotten so far. So what, what for me needs to change? For a moment, I'll go to when I first start with a blank canvas and I've decided an, a, a, a woman that I'm going to paint and I'm, I'm working from a set of images of her because in most cases, these people are no longer alive. I'll look at that and I'll study it and I'll find out what part of this image moves me. And I'll start there. So a lot of times, if it's a full-on portrait, I'll start with the eyes because that mm. enables me to have that conversation. So that's a natural entry point for me. This particular one that I'm working on right now, because her sculpture was so much a part of who she was and she's not actually facing me directly in the portrait, she's looking at her piece. I started with the sculpture. That's where the, the initial mark is placed and how that comes about. And then on each time I go back to the studio, it's one of studying what have I done so far and what's speaking to me that needs to be adjusted because it's not quite there yet. I always take pictures after each session of painting and I try to paint uh, two times a week for about six hours each time. And I take a picture at the end of it and, and I study the picture in between. And like already now, yesterday was when I painted and now I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I've got to do. And some yeah. of that's just mechanical, like this doesn't look right. And some of it's more, ooh, there's, you know, there's something else I want to do here. And, and yeah. so it's a feeling more than anything. I got the sense from the way you described what happens after that first inspiration hits and you move to action. It's really characteristic of the flow state. Time kind of disappears. High performance is being created. And then you come back and you go, wow, look what just happened. Almost as if you're in some kind of otherworldly mode. Is that sound about right? Rob, that's exactly it. And I I tell you what, one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly is regardless of what your discipline is, what your your life's work is, we all need to be able to enter that, that state of flow in order to access new insights and to be open to what might be possible. It's just absolutely critical. And I profess it to be when we work with our hands. It integrates mind, body, and it it helps us to get out of that constant thinking, you know, because our thinking sometimes can completely, not just sometimes, but it can often get in the way, right? Yeah. yeah. I use that and I embrace that. And I actually did that at work. So when I was in my career, though I wasn't actively creating, I was creating through other means. And so I used my, my power of flow and contemplation as a way to determine what was the next best action. So it takes me a while sometimes, but I'm coming back to that comment that inspired me. You, you were talking about your coaching. Now, as a coach, do you bring that mechanism or that the transition from the unconscious to the conscience into your coaching? And I don't know whether it's around leadership or creativity coaching, but help us understand that. Yeah, it's, it's tended to be more leadership, interestingly enough. And I'm fine with that. I love that as well. It's very much there. And, and what I call it is the, you know, is being present. I'm listening intently. I don't try to figure out what I'm going to say to this person or how I'm going to raise a question or any of that, because if I do that, I mess the whole thing up. Yeah. But if I, <laughs> if I'm just listening to them and I'm listening to emotional changes in their voice, like a lot of times you're on the phone 
mm-hmm. and you don't have the face to face. And so right. if I'm face to face, I'm watching the face and the whole story. If I'm on the phone, you can hear, you can hear subtle changes in energy. You can hear when they suddenly come up with something, when an insight comes through, it's, it's so rewarding in that sense. And it's also very exciting. And, and from that, I'm able to, you know, something will pop into mind and say, wait a minute, you know, I'm hearing blah, blah, blah. And this seems to be, maybe this is a pattern. Have you thought about that? And, and you know, it, it takes you to another level. And I think they respond to that very well because they know you're listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that, that sense of, I, and I can relate to that sense of when you're very present and when you're listening very well, that attentive listening state, you can get carried away with the individual you're talking to and get out of your own listening, get into yes. whatever they're into yes. and forget to listen again. Yeah. And do you have ways to get back into that listening place? I think it's being conscious of it, right? Yeah. And knowing that that happens and it does mm-hmm. happen. And there's times when somebody, I, I get caught up in their story and not so much about what's going to be most helpful to them at this point, mm. right? Because yeah. you've got You've got to remain a certain amount of detached. You can't mm-hmm. identify with where their head's at because they, they may be going down a chasm and you know there may be something similar. It's like a trigger for me that maybe I've experienced what they're talking about and I could go down there with them. That doesn't right. help them at all. Over time and experience, you just kind of catch yourself doing it uh, and you redirect. Yeah. It's almost like meditation when our minds start to wander, right? You go back to yeah. your breathing. And, and so it's the same mechanism. That totally happens. And it's just knowing ahead of time, what are those trigger areas for you? And what am I going to do when that happens to me? When I find myself caught in that, okay, what's going to be my approach? And sometimes I just sort of, I take a deep breath and I'll just say, can we pause for just a moment? And, you know, I'll ask a different question and it it brings them out of what they're in and it allows me to step out of the, the hole with them. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, though, in, in one sense, because you know when, when you're in that empathic state, that's important. You've got to get there to really identify with either your yeah. creative process or the person you're coaching or whatever it is. You have to reserve a little part of yourself that's being self-observant. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if that shuts off, you're lost in empathy. You're absolutely right. Yep. Direct it in some kind of way. You need to reserve a little bit of self-consciousness there. And it, it did remind me of meditation, as you said. It. Yeah, no, you said it very well. That's exactly what what it is. But it's not about perfection. You just kind of acknowledge, okay, I went down that hole with them and right. pull yourself out in the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rob, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I love AMI meetings. They are so like any other conference or professional group that I go to. AMI meetings are an end-to-end curated experience. They are a thoughtful, connected, influential community. An AMI meeting is peer learning in a super creative environment. I encourage all you innovators, designers, product managers, and strategists to learn more at aminnovation.org. Patty, we talked about your artwork. We've alluded to the coaching work that you do, but what is this coaching you're doing and how are you helping executives do better work? What I am seeking to do is, first of all, connect with someone and be their advocate and help them around moving in the direction they wish to move in. Now, obviously, if they want to move in a direction that I don't have any real feeling about or it's not my area of, you know, or I can't, I just can't support or whatever it might be, then I'm not the right coach for them. So you kind of make those decisions. But 
assuming they're working in a direction of greater growth and impact and having a positive impact on the people they're working with and that sort of thing, there's a huge connection point there. I'm seeking to help them see from time to time the bigger picture, to see what might be another person's perspective. If there's some challenge or conflict at play, what's going on in the business that might be different or that could be different. I'm there as their partner. I'm beside you and sometimes I'm behind you pushing you, (laughs) but with permission, it's very much a dance. It is an art and I love that about it. And it's a connection that's pretty deep because people trust you with stories and feelings and vulnerabilities that they don't share elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I respect that something about that that's sacred and I want to respect that. Can you just give us a a quick, for instance, not sharing any stories, obviously, but a quick, for instance, of the kind of person that you would coach? Who are these people that you're coaching? And what kind of companies are they working in? And I've got a mixture of startups and larger corporations. Personally, I love that kind of Mm -hmm, dynamic mm -hmm. because I was working in a larger corporation, but then building small businesses inside of that and, and essentially startup. That's a good mental exercise for me. Sometimes it's hard to shift from one to the other. And it has tended to be women. That's not a prerequisite for me at all, but I think that tends to gravitate towards me. People may be working to achieve the next level of leadership. They may be seeking to solve an issue that's right in front of them with the business in particular, or trying to get approval for something, or they're leading the charge on a new initiative, or they're trying to get funding, the next wave of funding on the startup side, whatever it might be, I'm helping them bring their best forward for that. I think the hardest thing for me is to keep my mouth shut when it comes to something I do know something about, but I don't Ah. flip into consultant mode, right? Yeah, Yeah, you become the expert for the moment, right? Yeah, Yeah. and and honestly, people will want me to do that. And so what I have to be conscious of, because it's not mine, you know, I don't live in their shoes, I would never want to do that. But when I see something and I'll say, okay, so I noticed something that I could share with you if you're open to that observation. And you know, yeah. then they can come back and say, absolutely. Most of the time they do, but I'll qualify it and make sure that it, you know, find out, does that fit with your view? How does that, you know, and sometimes there's an insight and sometimes it's sort of like, nope, doesn't work. It's like, okay, cool. Let's move on. Yeah. So it's That's that a great way to handle that. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob and I are both like, oh, yes. <laughs> Just got a yeah, good tip time. here. <laughs> I'll send you a bill. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patty. That, that's, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you make that decision to choose to coach over consulting? Because a part of that is not stepping in as the expert. And when you have 30 plus years behind you, you got a fair amount of expertise you're carrying around. So sometimes it can be hard to not want to share that. Yeah, and honestly, somebody is newer in their career or or in a completely new situation, it's a lot more of a battle for me to not do that yeah. versus yeah. somebody that's experienced. I'm helping you think through what you already know. Maybe reframing it, bringing it in from a different perspective. I was just thinking, you know, for myself and maybe some of our listeners, you know, we find ourselves doing all these different things in life, multiple directions. The things I've got going, I just, I don't see how they connect. I don't see how there's synergy between them. It sounds like you've, you've tapped into something that is pretty interesting. You've got this 
apparently divergent world of, uh, you know, the, the self-reflective artist who's looking at history and making meaning of those things and, and as a coach. And we've heard a couple of parallels, but what are some other connections between this or tips to help you or help our listener, perhaps? How do they self-reinforce these things in their lives that may not seem like they're really connected in any kind of way? As I've alluded to, I am trying to work from what inspires me. And so regardless of whether it's something that inspires me in the art world or if it's something that inspires me in the business world or in coaching or in social action or in some other thing, I try to make sure that I'm approaching it from an authentic perspective and that it's something that I feel I'm engaged in. I'm not doing the should. Right, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not involved with this because I should be involved with this or I'm not doing it out of guilt or meeting somebody else's expectations. First of all, I'm having that conversation with myself. And if I feel like I'm truly being authentic, one of the things that, and I'm not out of this yet, but last year I spent a lot of times trying to figure out what are these disparate parts doing <laughs> in the same thing? <laughs> you know, and, it's, and I think what I'm landing on is connection. By painting these women, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that people who view it would gain a greater connection either to their own history to their gender's history, to the role of women and how it's benefited all of us. But they're, they're getting a connection to that and they're filling in some blanks that haven't been populated mm-hmm. till now. Mm-hmm. So that's a connection with information. It's a connection with people. It's an understanding of this is what this particular set of people have been through and what that reality was like, perhaps. And w- what might I learn from that? And how might I connect with somebody that's more like that than they are like me? Coaching is connecting people to help them see how they might achieve their big dreams or their goals. And it's a connection to each other so that through that process, everything that we do is in in context of people, right? I mean, it's very, very few that are truly isolated pursuits. And so how do you then achieve your dreams and also help others achieve theirs? And so that's the connection in that sense. This March, we're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of AMI. We're going to be in Greensboro. And Patty, you've got a special role. You've been invited to be the artist in residence. Woo! Cheers! I hear that we're going to be setting up a gallery at the Proximity Hotel. You're going to be bringing some of your art, and you're going to have the opportunity to do some things, a little speaking slot, and, and all this. It's going to be a lot of fun. For the people that are going to come and experience you and your art, You've got some deep stuff going on, I believe. How do you come? How do you approach this? How do you get ready to experience it? Any tips for the observer or participant in what you're going to do? I would hope people would come with an open mind to learning about these women's stories. Some of them are tough stories. I don't know exactly which subset of my work I'll be bringing yet. I'm I'm working through that. Some of the stories can be tough. But at the same time, they're incredibly uplifting. So I think being open to hearing that story and to experience it, I mean, almost put yourself in those shoes, regardless of how different. I've got the first woman doctor from India, Anandi Joshi, as one of my subjects. And so that's quite a world away from Greensboro, North Carolina. And yet you can put yourself in those shoes if you listen to the story. And so I'd ask for that. I'd ask for that. Bring your empathy, bring your curiosity your interest in learning, and then bring your willingness to dialogue, to talk. What did you see? What did you learn? What would you suggest that I do differently? 
what other stories that you feel are missing from this subset of my work and how might I, you know, what would you love for me to do next? Because I want it to be a promoter of community and dialogue. And so ultimately that's the next step. So come open, come curious, and then come willing to to talk. Awesome. Okay, we yeah. can do that. Part two is, okay, so they, they have a little context Part two for how to approach it. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop here. But <laughs> So impacts when they're leaving, some of the things that they're leaving with uh, after having experienced some time with you, some time with the AMI community and with your works of art. My goal and my hope and dream would be that they're inspired. They're inspired to understand how women from all different backgrounds have contributed to where we are today and the important role that women can play in the future that's far beyond what we're currently playing in today. I think we've made huge strides as women, but I think, you know, we have to see people as people, not as genders or as nationalities or as ethnicities or religious groups. We've got to see them as people, as human beings. And so I would hope that people are inspired to move to that next step of understanding and start to see the oneness of all of us and that we each share things that we can relate to and that we come at it from very different views and perspectives, perhaps, but there's some commonality and that can be explored in safe spaces, in honoring spaces. And that's what I would hope for. It's beautiful. Thanks. Taking a moment and just going, yes, I, yeah. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> you actually caused Karen and I yeah, to stop like talking bakery. and that's really <laughs> uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very true. I am very, very passionate about our common humanity. And when I see what I see on our media and our our news and our larger country and global agendas, I'm just so very troubled. And I think that there's truth and then there's understanding and wisdom, as you referred. We've got to come to a place of greater understanding and connection and wisdom. I think that for Anyone that is just embedded in their belief set, I'd I'd ask them to step back and say, to what end? Where does this play out? Take the long view and look at it longer term. What do you imagine that it plays out? Is it suddenly that your point of view is victorious and the rest of the people that don't believe that are gone from this earth? What is your perspective Mm. on where this goes? Because I think it's only when you step back and look at it and say, we can be very different and we can disagree but we're all human and we're all we're all cut from the same cloth we are fruits of the same tree leaves of the same branch and we need to really start to recognize that so to your point earlier Karen about how you see things bubbling up and i completely agree with you and i think those of us that see it and that feel it we have a certain responsibility to engender more dialogue and discussion to promote mm-hmm. that and to help people see that and to put down their arms yeah. for a moment, yeah. you know, whatever weapons they're using and think about what's the impact on somebody. And is that truly what I want to have happen? Yeah. Because how does this play out? If I think about escalation, yeah. it's not a good thing. And whether we care about it for ourselves, we surely must care about it for our children. As I think about where we're going as a, as a human race, there is one race, it's the human race. It can be uncomfortable, but it's also incredibly enriching if you spend time with a completely different person and point of view and perspective. And we're all here for some reason. 
even those that are different, <laughs> right? So that notion of the other is be mindful of when, when you're actually putting somebody in that perspective of they're other than me, what's the impact of that? Because they feel that at some visceral level. And if you're doing that, then, or if you're, if you're having it done to you, figure out how to have a conversation that opens that, that enlightenment and that's that insight. Mm-hmm. It's important. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Before we forget to say thank you, Patty, Yay! it has been a wonderful conversation. What a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Thank you guys for making this so fun. Before we thank our episode and contributing sponsors, I want to encourage you, our lovely listeners, to stay tuned for this episode's Positive Turbulence Moment, coming up in about 20 seconds. First off, a big thank you to AMI, who have nurtured us in developing this podcast, is the source of so many of our guests, and of course, the founder, Stan Griskevich, is also the author of the original book, and dare I say, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of Positive Turbulence. AMI is a pioneering nonprofit organization comprised of committed individuals who foster and leverage creativity and innovation in organizations and society. AMI identifies leading edge innovation, shares experiences, sponsors research, and recognizes innovation and creative processes. Find out more at aminnovation.org. And thank you to Mac Avenue Music Group, our contributing sponsor, for providing our podcast soundtrack, Late Night Sunrise. And here's our positive turbulence moment where we speculate on what might happen when Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Ruth Wilson Gilmore, the two women Patty has painted who are contemporary, see their portraits. Has anyone who you've painted a portrait of seen any of your work? No, no. And I I definitely, I would love to be able to send copies of these to, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the other woman that I painted that's contemporary is Ruth Wilson Gilmore. I just want to let them know that I appreciate their contributions and their stories and the way that they brought another perspective to me and helped all of us, men and women alike. So yeah, I would love to do that, but I haven't. You'll probably get a call as a request after this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Right from the Supreme Court. Oh my God. I I probably think it was a complete, uh, you know. Well, you'll see the call come in and you'll go, oh, that can go to voicemail. That's, you know, it's probably just spam. I'll just let it go to voicemail, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) If you want to share a positive turbulence moment or otherwise comment on what you're hearing, please drop us a line at podcast at positiveturbulence.com. We welcome your thoughts. Be sure to tune in next episode when we'll be time traveling to the future with Joe Tankersley and reimagining our tomorrows. You can head over to PositiveTurbulence.com to find out more about us, get a transcript of this episode, get links to more about Patty, and learn about our wonderful sponsors, Positive Turbulence, our guests, or check out our very cool and very diverse reading, watching, and listening to list. Until next time, keep the turbulence positive.